Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Aim with Matthew Errett. He is here. You can find him over at CanadianPatriot.com, CanadianPatriot.org, CanadianPatriot.org, or the RisingTideFoundation.net. Make sure you get his books, folks. The Incomplete Symphony. Go get it, Volume 1 and Volume 2. You can get it from RisingTideFoundation.net. And also make sure that you subscribe, subscribe, subscribe to Matthew Errett's Substack. Go there or be square. And with that being said, Matthew, what's up, buddy? Lots going on. Situation is fast furious and fluid all at the same time absolutely yeah i'm uh it, it's it's hard to keep track it's almost dizzying because like you said the the fluidity uh the fast pacedness of events is breathtaking and um you know um i just watched i rewatched for like the third time um oliver stone's ukraine on fire from 2016 uh last night Ooh, you know very, i completely forgot about that movie very useful i think it was one of the best uh overviews that takes into consideration not just the uh obviously every everyone i think listening to this right now understands pretty well the u.s state department ned funded coup d'etats and regime changes from 2004 in ukraine that overthrew a a pro-russian government uh utilizing a, a basic soros gene sharp uh technique with a lot of western money and then they also know about the Victoria Newland. You know, we spent five billion dollars on regime change in Ukraine, and Biden's, uh, you know, I I got their prosecutor general fired, who was investigating my uh, my son, you know, Barisma Holdings, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, well, all son of a bitch, he got fired. Yeah, <laughs> uh, well, he just brags about it at the CFR, yeah. right? Just openly. <laughs> Well, what's good about you, uh, Oliver Stone's approach is he takes that stuff into consideration, but then gives you a really nice historic overview from the standpoint of how the hell did these Nazis that are running rampant as paramilitary groups in Ukraine, like Azov Battalion, right sector that have tens of thousands of these fanatic terrorists, how did that happen? Did it come out of a vacuum? Certainly not. And so he really goes through the rise of Ukrainian Nazis and back to the 1920s even, um, and, and into the different networks working with Hitler, like Stefan Bandera, Michael Lebed, the organization of Ukrainian nationalists uh, that, you know, created, they, they were basically saying, you know, like the, the, the big enemy of Ukraine is actually Stalin. And there were faction fights within it and people say, oh, but, you know, Bandera, who was declared a national hero by the Ukrainian government and all, he's like a, a symbol that, that is always, you know, marched out front with his portrait at these, these torchlight Nazi marches that are happening like every few Ridiculous. months in Ukraine. Yeah. Um, they're always like uh, they, people often say, oh, but he was actually fighting Nazism and the Nazis put him in prison. And it's like, yeah, kind of at a certain point he did. But he was fighting Stalin, like Russia and the Nazis at the same time, pretty much for his own fascist eugenics, uh, fascist state of Ukraine as an independent state. Um, and as soon as the war was over, and I mean, he did like he oversaw with, again, Michael Lebed over 100,000 Jews and Poles who were all executed brutally b- between 1941 and 44 um, within Ukraine. And after World War II, 
you have things, and, and again, Oliver Stone goes through this really well, how the CIA, Alan Dulles, the entire reorganized Anglo-American intelligence apparatus, took all of these Nazis, these unapologetic leading Nazis like Reinhard Gellin, the head of Hitler's intelligence apparatus. They basically said, okay, you're going to be useful in the fight against communism and the Cold War. They installed Galen as the, the head of Western German intelligence with his entire apparatus. They brought in Bandera uh, in the 50s into Galen's networks as well. Lebed, you know, the, the other head of the organization of U Ukrainian nationalists was brought into the United States and became a major uh, player there. And all of these rat lines into South America, the, the Operation Gladio operations that were begun in the mid-50s that reinstated international stay-behinds of Nazis that carried out terrorist attacks, assassinations all across Europe. Um, that's all part of what was maintained in Ukraine that was only reactivated in a serious way when the Soviet Union collapsed in 91. You had the creation of these various you know, uber ultra bad nationalists. I'm a nationalist, but these are the bad nationalists, like blood and soil, you know, ethno nationalists. Everybody who's not my blood is uh, less than human. Un Untermention, you know, uh, this is the, all the stuff that came up as Svoboda, uh, as far as the political party was concerned in the early 90s and really got virulent in 2004 and even more so as a cancer in 2014, which is really when, when Putin says we're going to denazify Ukraine. Um, and demilitarize it. A lot of people watching either CNN or even a lot of the, the right wing uh, media in the West, they're not they're they're led to believe that that's just rhetoric. There's no validity in any of that. And it's like, no, this is serious. He's talking about actually killing Nazis in a very serious way. You can prove that. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, the 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 West. <clears throat> seems to be missing all of this they have they seem to be ambivalent they seem to be absorbed in their own narratives and um they 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 still think this is the 1990s russia it's a failed poor country uh it has the gdp the size of new york city they are so clueless man it's unbelievable no i know it's wild how how off they are i mean and like you said they, they really believe their own narratives it's like even a drug dealer knows you don't consume your own drugs right and right. these guys are putting out <laughs> they, they don't even listen to the basic your, your regular you know corner drug dealer uh knows the basics that they don't seem to have learned they actually are believing their own crap that they put out to poison the minds of their target victims and uh yeah they're thinking that russia is just failing left and right i'm hearing like you know i i, I unfortunately uh, poison my my head a little bit just trying to listen to public you know NPR radio and other other popular uh, brainwashing sites just to see how people are being how the truth is being spun inside out and yeah they're they're saying that Russia is losing that they bit off more that they could chew Russia thought that they were going to win in 24 hours and it's like five days later and it's like well you know Alex uh, Christofaru and and Merkulis on the Duran made this point as as well as a, a on the ground journalist in Kiev. Uh, I really, I really resonated to this. This they made a great point that, well, this is projection because these are people coming at an analysis based upon yeah. what the United States has has done as a modus operandi for many years of shock and awe bombing, targeting civilian infrastructure, water systems, electricity grids in in Afghanistan, Iraq, Libya, Syria, and even Yugoslavia. Before that, to a certain extent. Um, and now they're saying they're, they're, they're trying to analyze what Russia is doing from that vantage point. And they're like, well, but Russia's not doing what we're doing. Russia's not actually targeting any of these civilian infrastructure things. They're actually, 
they don't seem to want to actually target civilians the way we have. And so, of course, things are on a slightly slower time scale. They're trying to choke off and encircle a lot Kiev and a lot of the key, uh, you know, uh, bases of support where a lot of these paramilitary psychos have been based. A lot of troops have on the Ukraine side have just simply given up. Thousands and thousands have given up. Russia is complete air dominance. They've got mostly sea dominance as well. I don't know how they're going to infuse, you know, we're talking about sending billions of dollars of weapons and munitions. I'm not sure how they're planning on getting that stuff in because they're not going to airdrop them. They're not going to get them through a lot of ports very easily. I, I guess it's, it's virtue signaling. Huh? <clears throat> it's yeah. virtue signaling. It's a bunch of bureaucrats who don't understand strategy, who don't understand military operations, who don't understand anything. Mm-hmm. They're just PR agents. They say this for PR. That's all it yes. is. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I mean, you see this stuff like Christia Freeland, you know, our, our Canadian uh, oh, deputy another, prime another minister. Oh, yeah. Absolute brilliant mind. Right. Uh, this 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 woman has was caught walking around like leading a march of Ukrainian uh, nationalists just the other day. And there was a big scandal, which was even covered by the Ottawa Citizen, where she put on on her own Twitter account herself holding a picture of the black and red. Um, what is it? The Ukrainian um Basically, the Nazi—I uh, forget the name for it—but but the Ukrainian, oh, yeah, the, the Ukrainian, usur- the Ukrainian insurgent army flag that she had to then take down out of embarrassment <laughs> because, well, she's not embarrassed, but you know, it was bad publicity because now everyone was like, "Wait a minute, you're holding an openly Nazi flag um, with people like painted with red and and black, you know, a face paint." Um, and How this loving. is a person saying, How "Like tolerance." Oh yeah, and we're we're now so she's so you know, projecting this virtue of being this great liberal democracy, while at the same time, she just presided over a complete martial law for several days, confidence, like freezing people's bank accounts, arresting people unjustly just for being at a peaceful protest. And she can give the Ukrainians all the that she's going to do more. Huh? Oh, yeah, she can give the Ukrainians some tips on how to do that, how to be more tyrannical. Exactly, exactly. Um, and also, there's this weird thing with the Legion, too, right? You heard about their the Ukrainian le- foreign legions now opening up where anybody, c- if you want to fight, because they don't have enough soldiers to actually fight themselves. <clears throat> yeah. Willing to. Now you could just, like, join up from New Jersey or wherever your local uh, Ukrainian consulate is. Just go and sign up, and they'll, they'll ship you off to Ukraine, apparently, give you a weapon you, you don't know how to use so that you can go and get yourself killed fighting people. Yeah, if, if, you've been, if, you, if you're a, an overweight, pudgy, pasty white, and basement-dwelling kid playing Call of Duty your entire life, and you want to go ahead and test your mettle against professional, hard-hitting Russian and Chechen fighters, <laughs> uh, sign up with your local Ukrainian consular folks. They will ship you out. You will get uh, you know, a couple of uh, uh, bowls of borscht, and uh, they'll send you on your way. Yeah, they'll even give you like a little cardboard a uh, piece of paper that looks like a gun to to train with for a week or two, not even maybe even a, a day. It's a day. It's a day. Yeah, They're a day. very proficient in, in firearms over there. I heard. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but but because that's ultimately what kind of like what these people want. I think that's the disgusting thing about this this whole process is that they want dead bodies, like they want and and you know there's so many Western talking heads are are admitting on the one hand with one breath that the Ukrainians don't have the means to actually militarily defeat Russia, but then they're they're championing and and cheering them on for being such great heroic people who are willing to like throw Molotov cocktails at soldiers and use guns they don't know how to use um, to go and kill themselves. And it's like, you're basically, you're frothing at the mouth because you want sacrificial martyrs. You want people who don't know what how they're being used to go and do something stupid and 
Yeah. And, you know, if a, if a Russian soldier is getting shot at or a Molotov cocktail, they're likely to shoot at the person shooting at them. And they're going to be better at it because they're actually trained. And then you're going to get civilians who will be, we will be told, are being killed by, by Russians. Or, on the other hand, you know, you have these cases where these, you know, paramilitary groups and units have stationed their, their military basings inside of residential buildings in various Ukrainian cities, including in Kiev. Um, and, and they have set up their, their, you know, their various anti-aircraft missiles and other things right inside of apartment complexes or in the, in the, in the courtyards, which makes it really tough if you are actually doing a counterattack as a Russian to shoot these things or defeat those, those types of units without hurting civilians as well. So they're consciously putting themselves, they're using human shields. And uh, that's, I think, again, just the real, the real terrible corruption of all of this is that they want to get people to die unnecessarily to justify some insane response and it's like what are you going to do as, as far as the west is concerned are you going to go along with what what's his name um adam uh, kinzinger the rep the representative from the united states has said like oh, yes. the no fly zone over oh, yeah. the we'll have a no fly zone with the uh, the ghost problem. of kiev guarding it <laughs> you heard about that no i didn't wait what's this dude so some idiots took uh, graphics from a video game flight simulator uh, of a Ukrainian uh, of a MiG-29 shooting down an Su-27, an Su-35, which would never oh, happen no. in real life. Are you serious? And they built this mythos about this guy called the the uh, the Ghost of Kiev, who shot down 18 Russian aircraft, and he now he's like a super ace. And then it realized, and then the idiot media realized that it, it was totally fake. They used footage from a video game. And Adam Kinzinger's caught praising this guy and telling him to go. He's got, he's he owns the Russian Air Force, the ghost of Kiev, and it turned out to be uh, uh, the uh, some comedian. That's amazing. <laughs> That's absolutely amazing. Oh yeah, no, they're completely unapologetic with their. Uh, it, I know there, there's buildings as well that that I. I mean, obviously, we don't have to. We can, it's a long list here of just fakery and creating false heroes. Um, but buildings have been like destroyed by Azov's and uh yeah we've caught CNN passing around images saying this is what the Russians have done and then they've had to retract saying actually no it's you know Ma imagine this, this is the, the shark of Kiev this is another guy he's a lone soldier from Ukraine has single-handedly destroyed 15 Russian submarines on his own armed with nothing but a knife and sheer will he's known to the locals as the shark of Kiev <laughs> that's uh yeah there, there's the other case too where um there was I think it's in, it was in or in or around Sevastopol where you had a base and like all 86 uh, Kiev uh, or Ukrainian soldiers had all surrendered. They were like, I'm not going to fight for this <clears throat> shithole yeah. basket case country. They just surrendered immediately to the superior forces. And uh, in the Western media, it was proclaimed that these were people who all died fighting. They all basically gave the finger to the Russians and said they'd rather yeah. die fighting for motherland Ukraine than than surrender. And uh, none of that was true. There, there was, they were just, they all just surrendered. They, they, none of them died. But that's what you have, anybody listening you have to the end, they would say the opposite. Absolutely. And then you have lefties who, uh, who are wearing T-shirts that saying "Fu Russian ship," <laughs> mm. Russian naval ship. Well, that's the weird thing too, right? A lot of these lefties are so. I mean, you're really they're seeing pro war all of a sudden. It's their lack of testosterone and their increased ingestion of soy and other plant-based dietary products that has led them to this mental insanity. It's strange. I mean, even, yeah, people who had been typically not your, your radical neocon lefty type, like, yeah. uh, like Bernie Sanders is, is 
jumping on CIA talking points in the party line. And uh, I, I know like people who had been consistently against U.S. regime change wars from Afghanistan and Iraq um, all the way through Libya and Syria, you know, people had been speaking out in a competent way um, against that are all of a sudden now completely on the CIA bandwagon with that entire narrative that Russia is just doing uh, a Hitler right now over poor Czechoslovakia or Poland or something uh, that ushered in World War II. And anybody who doubts that narrative is an appeaser and a pro-Hitler Putin supporter. And it's like the level of, of radical McCarthyism that's spreading so quickly is, is really jarring. Dude, it's, no. it's beyond retarded at this point. Absolutely beyond retarded. No, I know. And, uh, you know, that's when you think about the the entire McCarthyism thing, too, like a lot of these Glenn Greenwald, he's actually one of the consistent voices I've, I've really appreciated. I, I subscribe to his Substack. Uh, very, very worthwhile following. And um, yeah, he made you know this good point as well, that like McCarthyism, it was a consensus even amongst like George Clooney uh, Democrats, you know, uh, or like Soros Democrats, even that McCarthyism was a completely fascist dark age in American history that could never, you know, they, they recognized the evil, the insanity of the blacklist, the control of narratives, the rise even of things like o- Operation Mockingbird, um, where the CIA, you know, in, installed all of their their talking heads into different written and um, and visual media platforms to shape the narratives of the Cold War. Um, that was all sort of generally a consensus rec- recognition up until like now uh, that this was all bad. And when you look at it, like the the entire the Cold War itself was entirely created as a fiction. You had things like the the Guzenko affair, right? When Russia was still our ally, had we recognized that Russia had sacrificed twenty five million of their people, China had sacrificed over ten million people in the in the fight against fascism and that entire attempt at a new world order. Because, I mean, it's like what we're facing now with the World Economic Forum and that whole thing uh, for depopulation, getting rid of sovereign governments, all of that stuff. This is not a new thing. This was attempted. And the the U.S.-Russia-China alliance, which FDR had had planned very seriously to be the foundation for a new economic order after World War II, that was, that was based upon win-win cooperation, big projects that would unite everybody in common effort and bring about... Um, really a, a, an age where colonialism could not get sink its tentacles back into the, the, the host that they've always used as a parasite to extract yeah. them from. And that was all subverted by what a complete psyops, the Guzenko affair, which occurred in Canada. I, I, I think I, I talked about this a few weeks ago on the show, but for those who don't know, like that was one of the biggest propaganda maneuvers that justified Churchill in 1946 coming out. I think it was in March in New Hampshire saying, uh, or in Missouri, saying that, you know, the New World Order will be an Anglo-American special relationship with an iron curtain that will descend, breaking apart former allies and, and our, you know, those things that used to be our enemies, like like Germany, uh, will be our allies in this new fight against Soviet communism. That whole thing was justified by um, an affair that was cooked up by the in the hearts of Anglo-American intelligence, specifically British intelligence, which had networks in Canada that induced a 26-year-old corrupt uh, clerk from the Russian embassy to leave one day where he was immediately sent to Camp X, the terrorist spy British training camp in Canada, where he was sent there for six months 
from September 1945 until about early March. And in in that time, a story was cooked up that he pulled out like 108 documents from the Russian embassy that all outlined the different spies that had been embedded with their code names across the Canadian and U.S. and, and British uh, governments. And uh, and all of this was in there as proof that he finally leaked. And, and you know, with a coordinated leaking uh, to certain, you know, key mainstream media outposts, this all of a sudden was put in all of the press on the same day internationally across Europe and Canada and the U.S. that this had happened, this evidence was there, and there was going to be trials, Royal Commission, uh, Privy Council trials that extended martial law even that had was done in 19, you know, 1939. So we had a certain type of martial law and emergencies act, kind of like what was done recently. Um, that was extended for another year after World War II was ended so that they had the right to arrest people, detain them, torture them without trial, without habeas corpus, without a right to see an attorney or their family. And these were all people, the people targeted were, there were overall 26 arrests of political enemies of the deep state. People who had been exposing even a member of parliament who had been exposing the Anglo-American financing of fascism. These were all people who were like literally taken out of their house in night raids, brought into uh, psychological torturous conditions, sensory deprivation, given a fake trial that was kept secret with secret evidence. And only Guzenko, this one idiot, a uh, corrupt former you know, defector from the Russian embassy was allowed to speak uh, publicly. Everyone else was was sanctioned under threat of going to jail if you spoke about it, if you like were a police officer or anything. So only this guy was allowed to speak about it. And 10 people went to jail, 16 went free. The 10 people who went to jail um, over the course of these sham trials, they weren't even put to jail based on anything that had to do with espionage. Not a single one. There was five that went to jail based on the fact that they had done the crime of forging passports so that Canadians could fight fascist Franco in Spain, because you had a big Canadian contingency of anti-fascist fighters, and the other five on just simply um, doing like um, a general Flynn and uh, telling a lie or being caught or accused of even telling a lie about what they knew or didn't know, but that was it. And they were given upwards of five to seven year prison sentences and their lives were destroyed under the Red Scare. But see, the thing about that is that we were all told in the media that this is proof that the Russians have these penetrating agents to to overthrow our, our democratic liberal Western values and the frenzy of uh, fanaticism in regular, seemingly regular people grew like a, a, a cancerous pox. And we all gave our acquiescence to unleash the Cold War at that point. Now, in 1985, all of the evidence that was used in these Royal Commission trials was all finally declassified. So journalists were able to finally see these microfilms. And this is a chapter in my book, Volume Two of the Clash of the Two Americas. Uh, when people, act, when these journalists actually got to unroll and see the microfilms to see the evidence, they wrote that there was no nothing there. There was like scans of or photocopies, xeroxes of of phone books of people's like uh, shopping lists. There was nothing there, so there was never any evidence. And the actual uh, documents, it seems they were all, if there was ever any, they were just forged in Camp X which was the Camp X was the thing that that organized the British takeover of U.S. intelligence and the purging of the former U.S. intelligence agency, the OSS, which had been created in 1942. So that had too many patriots 
too many people who understood the nature of the Anglo-American oligarchy and how they organized the rise of fascism and all of these other things with penetrations in the U.S. and Canada. So they had to go. They had to be labeled red commies and destroyed. And whoever was allowed to stay back, people, you know, well-behaved OSS uh, operatives like Alan Dulles, they were given a special treatment. And then they became the backbone with things like the CIA in 1947 after a year of just reorganization and purging. So it was all fake. The whole Cold War was entirely a fake to destroy this U.S.-Russian and Chinese uh, relationship that was going to usher in a new age of human cooperation, which has been something that has given nightmares to oligarchs for a very long time. And uh, yeah, there was spy intrigue and all that stuff, spy versus spy stuff, certainly happened throughout the Cold War. The Russians were not good guys. The, the Americans were not good guys yeah, throughout the most of the Cold War. There was no, that the Cold War's rules themselves defied that ability for the most part. You did have good people who did try to destroy the Cold War game. Like, you know, when John F. Kennedy arose and called for a uh, system of cooperation around uh, a joint U.S.-Russian Russian collaboration around a space program together, that was a great way to break the rules of the, the destroy the world game of nuclear, you know, mutually assured destruction. That was great. De Gaulle, you know, doing his fight again against NATO and calling for international development of, of Algeria and Africa and beyond with Quebec. That was great. And Enrico Mattei calling for, you know, mobilizing the Italian industrial and energy base to help uh, Africa industrialize before he was destroyed under a an Operation Gladio Nazi stay behind operation in 1960. That was great. But for the most part, um, all of this didn't have to happen. That was not a history that that it was in any way uh, necessary. It was an artificial intervention to derail and pervert the natural organic flow of creative history, which was moving in a very different direction in 1940, 45, and even 46, even at the time when FDR had died and his allies were being destroyed, there was still momentum um, that was artificially derailed. So the fact that we don't know this, I think this is what allows us to be susceptible to a lot of the brainwashing and propaganda, which is being revived, you know, like we're profiled. Uh, it is understood how we're psychologically able to be activated into a fear state the way we were after 9-11, where people just went, you know, like Glenn Greenwald points out, right? We, all of these evolutionary tribal uh, impulses were activated where we basically got into total groupthink based on the idea of an artificial external threat that wants to, you know, that hates us for our freedoms. And uh, you just had to cancel anybody who even questioned the basis of like 9-11 and the official narrative that had they, they were people's lives and careers were annihilated for simply asking, you know, scrutinizing questions that even questioned the, the weapons of mass destruction, which today everyone recognizes was a giant lie. And back then that was not you couldn't say that in 2001, 2002, 2003, Saddam Hussein certainly, certainly planned 9-11, said the majority of Americans surveyed and Canadians. That was that was the consensus. And if you doubted that, you would be ridiculed and annihilated. Um, so you see how this stuff is, you know, it, it's important to be able to remove ourselves from the time and place and group dynamics that we find ourselves often being shaped by with emotions and how our emotions are being influenced and just move ourselves into a more objective state of looking at history in a more critical eye. And then we can sort of not fall prey to some of these triggers that are being used to get us to weaponize ourselves and justify what could be uh, a complete, you know, end of civilization 
feasibly if this thing is, is permitted to get out of hand. So. Yeah, very well said, man. You know, there's, um, I thank God that, that our leaders in the West are not only criminal, but they're also criminally incompetent. Mm-hmm. These guys ha- don't have the wherewithal, the 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 proclivity, the the capability of mounting anything effective. And we've seen that in the last several decades of not only how they're managing the nations that they rule, but how they're also executing the operations of these nations overseas in various military and warlike operations. And it's all blown up in their face. It, it, it's humorous to see this. And I think China and Russia has woken up to the fact that these people are a joke. There's no point in dealing with these evil jokers. That's all they are. Yeah. No, you're bringing in China is, is key. Because, I mean, that, that's at the end of the day, um, that's really what this game is about. It, it's None of this would be happening had you not had this Russia-China alliance. And, I mean, what they did together on February 4th by releasing this manifesto for the new New World Order, this new era of, of uh, peaceful cooperation with a gigantic set of organizing principles that are embedded in it it's really like a new you know you consider it a new united nations charter in a sense um enshrining the principles of win-win cooperation respect for sovereignty um total common sense and integration of a new alternative financial security architecture if that hadn't been done i don't think you would really have this leap flight forward in 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 a frenzy to just to burn all of these chaotic zones that are perceived to be like weak fissures that could be capitalized on to create chaos in either Taiwan or, or in Ukraine. Um, but that's really it. Like Russia and China, they're, they're being threatened with, obviously, you know, there's a big threat to expel all of Russia from SWIFT right now. It's just a lot of the, the big Russian banks, but you know, if they do that, I mean, Russia and China have already done quite a bit to set up an alternative, uh, de-dollarized ba- system of ba- uh, uh, balance of payments and um, financial communications between the, the two of them, but also India is involved now conducting business between rupees and rupees, um, not using U.S. dollars. The U.S. and China, uh, Russia and China have been de-dollarizing. Um, other countries are on board. The Eurasian Economic Union is uh, has 400 banks that are involved in the Russian alternative to SWIFT. And uh, frankly, it's like Sergey Glazyev just recently gave a, a remarkably good um, presentation called Sanctions and Sovereignty in, uh, on the 25th. And in it, he's, he's very clear, like, we, Russia, it's going to hurt the, the, the Europeans and the Americans a lot more than the Russians. I mean, it's going to be like something like $250 billion of pain on a, on a numbers term. But if you think about it in terms of the agriculture, the Ukraine and Russia alone produce 25% of the global wheat. Um, what's that going to do, shutting down that type of necessary food output? The fuel output, it's not just Nord Stream 2, it's a, a vast amount of energy of natural gas comes from Russia. The Canadians uh, under Freeland have already cut off all Russian entry of, of natural gas. And as of yesterday, I tried to put some gas in my car. No gas, no gas in the gas stations. And all of the gas stations in my in my region of Montreal of Montreal had no gas yesterday. They have gas today, but that's never happened before in my experience. Um, well, that's your fault because, you know, if only if we had more windmills and solar panels and we all drove electric cars, none of this would happen. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's really what they're saying, eh? Dude, they're idiots. That's actually what Timmermans even said, that if we had more Green New Deal earlier, like five years earlier, 
we wouldn't have an energy crisis? Is what? No, we don't freeze to death. You wouldn't be an energy crisis because you'll be dead, not consuming yeah, right. any energy. So there right. won't be no crisis. It's genius when you think about it. That's exactly what he's thinking, isn't it? <laughs> That's exactly what he's thinking. He's not lying. I mean, yeah, you got to get, you get, you gotta get to the mind of a sociopath. Yeah, if we just went for the Malthusian depopulation agenda a few decades earlier, then we wouldn't have any danger of war because there'd be nobody alive to fight each other. Yes. Right. Yeah. Obviously. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, no more energy consumption because you'll be dead. You won't be consuming energy. Perfect way to decarbonize. All right. Yeah. And we're made of carbon, of course. And we breathe <laughs> carbon. We, there you we, go. Carbon's the bad guy. Carbon is the enemy. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's the that's the euphemisms, right? So, I mean, we're in a world where people have to really learn to, to see with their mind's eye and not with their with their with their simple eyes or ears are telling them because your eyes and ears are lying to you because liars lie and they use nice words to get you to trust them so that you do things that ultimately destroy you. And uh, and people have to really, really internalize that. Um, and I think that's it's a weird phenomenon, right? This whole I don't believe in conspiracy theories that's been we've been told that that's the sign a sign that you're a delusional schizophrenic is if you one of the one of the signs is that you believe in conspiracies um that, uh, that, that's even a sign that you might even be a, a domestic you know what a big letter t because you know you might not trust the government you might believe misinformation that implies conspiracies that get you to maybe have hesitancy for a variety of things that you should be expected to believe in and uh and all of a sudden the basis upon which human beings organize themselves for thousands of years. We are a conspiratorial civilization, a species of conspiracy. Animals don't plan to build, you know, like there's a drought, the, the beavers will die. They won't plan to build a dam uh, to organize a water system. You know, that desert, if deserts naturally go from green to desert in nature. And when that happens, the animals who are living in that green area die. They don't put food aside in a, in a you know, a silo or something. They can't improve upon nature. So the human beings, we have to organize ourselves according to discovered principles of nature and then get other people on board to communicate ideas to our fellow citizens who are all in this together so that we can collectively work to build a dam to start changing our behavior so we don't like overplow a field and just destroy the soil and turn it to useless dirt, right? Which is how Sumer and other civilizations were destroyed. We can learn from our past errors and we can like move tillage around seasonally so that we don't do that. Um, so we are a conspiratorial, and these are just like basic, you know, utilitarian things that we conspire around. But on a, on a grander scale, we have ideas of laws that are bad, that are hurting people if we abide by them, or uh, traditions of like going to ask the Oracle at Delphi after giving them money, uh, who should we go to war with or make peace to? And having this Oracle with their mystical knowledge, reading tea leaves and like, you know, bird guts, or listening to a, a doped up poor girl getting raped by priests. Uh, and we're being told that this Oracle of Pythi Python or whatever, Pythia, is uh, a channel for the gods who are telling kings that, no, you should go to war with your neighbor. That's what the gods want you to do. By the way, give me more money. Um, we're, we're able to see that, okay, these are, are obsolete bad ways of doing things. And we can correct ourselves to uh, develop peace treaties on a more rational basis that's moral uh, by you know, again, conspiracy. So conspiracies happen for good and for bad. And that's part of human history. That was what John F. Kennedy was trying to do and organizing with. He was a part of a conspiracy that was subverted. That's what FDR was trying to do. Um, and that's what's shaping our world today. And until we actually start getting a sense of that, we won't understand what Russia and China and 
and, and Iran and other countries who are on board with this new era of cooperation. We won't understand what they're actually doing. We, we will continuously try to analyze them at, from a projection, a Freudian projection standpoint of, oh, yeah, they're, Putin's crazy. He's a wild person who is out of control, which is actually what experts, analysts are, are saying on Fox News and CNN, that he's just crazy. You can't know what he's doing. It's like, no, you can very much know what he's doing. He's outflanked these gods of Olympus on so many occasions over 20 years. You're like, you're, you're How saying, dare he? And now he's crazy. Now all of a sudden he just turned crazy. All of that was like... Not only is he crazy, he's a bloodthirsty despot. Yeah. He was just in it for the money and his like imag- imaginary six gigantic castles and mansions. Uh, you know, like, which... Eh. Like, there's just such a low level quality of thinking embedded in all of this or that China just wants, they just want that. I've heard this too a lot, right? They just want to revive Maoism and, and have a new global Chinese empire or something uh, the way Mao did because they say nice things about Mao. And it's like, you can't see that functionally speaking, China today is not the culture evolution of the gang of four. It's, it's completely different. They've gotten rid of the one child policy, which was by the way, brought to us were brought to China by the Club of Rome, not a very Chinese institution, right? And Henry Kissinger's NSSM 200 report, which called for a depopulation of the world, and upon which basis China would have permission to receive the necessary technology that it needed to pull itself out of poverty finally. That was the condition, one-child policy. This was not a Chinese policy, ever. And it's like, you can't see that that is not at all what is defining the character of China today. It's, it's, it's not that in any way. They've pulled a billion people out of poverty. They've gotten rid of the one child, the two child policy. They're up to three. They've never had it for their Uyghurs and other minorities. And they're actually building things like 40,000 kilometers of high speed rail and nuclear power plants and all sorts of natural gas and other reactors and building pipelines like the power of Siberia with Russia and, and Turkmenistan and everyone. Like they're actually doing things that are beneficial to both business and people at the same time. And as they do those things that we used to do when we had competent people who had not been assassinated yet in positions of political leadership, like, you know, Bobby Kennedy, JFK, Lincoln, McKinley, Warren Harding, FD, like you can, there's a long list. When we used to do things like that, things, empires lost control. People became more emancipated on a psychological, spiritual, physical, material level. All three components of the human condition, right? Mind, soul, and body all were made better uh, by that. And as it was made better, the ability for empire to manipulate us was reduced. And it will never be perfect. As far as I can tell, philosophically, it doesn't make sense that we'll ever achieve a state where we are like these angels. That's not how it works because we're always going to have material impulses. Like that's just part of being human. We're going to die, right? We might have more longevity than we did a century earlier because of new technologies caused by creative thought, which animals can't do. But despite that, we might maybe in a century, if we do things well, we might have a a average life expectancy of two, 300 years. I don't know if electromagnetic technology is used in a moral way, perhaps, um, and other things that I I don't, I can't even imagine, but we're always going to be finite. And so, and we're always going to have material urges and impulses, and we're always going to have the right of free will to be stupid. And to think wrong thoughts, that's always part of the human condition too. So, you know, we're never going to be out of the the mire completely in like just these perfect robots. But at the same time, uh, we will be able, I believe, to overcome this infantile state of human evolution, which has had us 
living under a system of master-slave relations for way too long, you know, where we're a creature of, we're on a spinning ball. Like, just think about this earth thing, right? That people have, I mean, it was kind of, I guess, the idea that we were moving around the sun was there in ancient Greece, um, but it wasn't really that dominant of a thought. And, uh, but we're moving, like, the idea that we're spinning and rotating around a gigantic, um, incredible, you know, sun, which is just one of, it's just a star of billions of other stars in a galaxy, which has certain characteristics to it, is incredible to think about. And that we're in space. We're not in, there's not space and then there's earth. There's, there is just, there is what it is. (laughs) And so the idea that human beings have the only ability to discover if an asteroid is going to hit us and cause a mass extinction or an ice age, which we should be actually entering into about now. Um, we can preemptively know these things and conspire to work in a way that benefits all of us, regardless of our civilization, and get our priorities in a place that actually is in everybody's interest for, um, you know, we could destroy an asteroid. We could we could do that. We could We could mitigate the effects of an ice age on the destruction of food production systems and other things. Um, but instead, we're always cut, caught doing these stupid little things like falling into the games of empire again and again and just destroying this great potential that we have as, as a species of the stars. We just keep on undermining that greatness and uh, and killing ourselves. So maybe this time, you know, the way I'm thinking about it is we have, we're the first time that we've, we've attained um, an atomic power that could be used for great good or for great evil. So we have enough power on the earth right now to destroy pretty much all life and human life for a very long time. I don't know how long it would take for that to recover if we started just unleashing all of that. Or you could use the peaceful approach to it, which is tapping into the uh, the amazing amount of energy you get from at, from matter when, it's, when you can understand the geometry within every atom. And then you discover that a, a certain port, part of, of atomic mass can turn into energy that can be channeled to... I mean, desalinate all sorts of necessary water. You can green deserts. The Sahara, within 50, 60 years, you can make that blossom. That was actually Franklin Roosevelt uh, is on record talking about his plans to green the Sahara Desert with these sorts of projects. Um, you could you could have a whole bunch of things in place for the benefit of human beings. You could start terraforming another planet. You know, you could, we could take the lessons we learn by green deserts on the earth and begin to start thinking more creatively about looking at the patchy, you know, Mars apparently at one point had life. Maybe it still has some sort of bacterial life, right? There's there's various ice caps also going through a bit of a melt right now. Um, not that there's any SUVs on Mars, but there's there's climate change on Mars. Go figure. So we could think about maybe uh, melting those ice caps, releasing some of the, the gases within to create a more conducive uh, atmosphere over, I don't know how long that would take, 100, 200 years, I don't know. But just to think, like maybe we could create an environment that would be much more conducive to the natural growth of uh, ecosystems that could eventually become hospitable to um, human colonization in a in a more you know moral way and beyond. You know, there's something like 280 plus moons uh, around Jupiter, Saturn, Neptune, you name it. And then what about other star systems, right? Like Alpha Centauri is a very far, long way away. So if we if we start expanding, I think our, our our identity around a bigger context than this local geopolitical, you know, part of the the solar or the uh, of the solar system here on the Earth, which you know these Malthusians they they're they're of the view that no human beings are just a natural part of this closed 
ecosystem of diminishing returns and that all we can do is fight over diminishing returns of scraps of whatever resource happens to exist at the moment. And the elites scientifically managing the the stupid talking cows are obliged to, um, you know, population control, selective breeding, uh, doing other things genetically to the, the, the talking cows to keep them from uh, breaking the rules of the closed rigged game or making new discoveries or discovering new resources. So I, I think those are the sorts of conditions that we're, we're facing right now. And there's a lot of potential. I, I'm, I'm somewhat hopeful that Russia and China, who have finally called out this game of, of secrets, right? The empire of lies, as Putin called it. Um, they're now forcing the empire of lies who've been acting in shadows and using just lies for decades to finally react to reality, to, to real action. Um, that's right there, a big game changer. And I'm, I don't know if the empire, when you listen to Biden or, or Justin Trudeau or Freeland or any of these idiots, these world economic forum idiots in, uh, in Europe, uh, when you listen to them speak, you could tell that they can only act on narratives on, on this fake framing of reality. They can't deal with reality. Putin has just forced reality onto them. And I just, I think that we're going to see them continuously cannibalize themselves the way Rumpelstiltskin did when they guessed, you know, when his name was guest in the great story. And that is a burning fire. No, no, no. That is the, uh, this is the preview of tonight's uh, State of the Union address uh, for the United States. That's the uh, <laughs> State of the Union tonight, folks. Uh, as uh, Biden's speaking, I think, uh, uh, I think nobody should listen. I don't think anybody should tune in. I don't think anybody should watch it. And uh, anybody who streams it should have a dumpster fire in the background as he speaks. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just give you a... Yeah, that's perfect. That's perfect, dude. That that's a great way to end it. I uh, I think that I know you got to jump. Yeah, that rounded Matthew Eric, thank you, sir, for joining us yet again, gracing us with your presence. Lots going on, and you are a busy man now. That all of a sudden, holy shit, everything this guy's talking about is coming to pass. Let's get him and book him on shows. So that's a good thing. <laughs> but it, it it takes a war for people to notice, I guess, right? Well, I guess, I mean, sometimes, yeah, you have to sort of feel the fire on your skin to realize that uh, we, we should we should have been appreciating, like, water a little bit more, you know? Or, yeah. So I think all of us, we're, we're all encountering a, a greater hunger uh, right now for truth and, uh, and higher analysis that has quality to it from a lot of people who are now finally realizing they cannot just stay asleep any longer. Um, and they're trying to piece things together fast. So a lot of people are going through really fast bell curves of learning as we speak. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a right time in that sense as well, just for the, the basic fervor of intellect. And I'm seeing as well, like a lot of people who didn't really exhibit too much in the way of powers of communicating or understanding, just blossoming and, 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 and showcasing really great powers of intelligence that I don't think they would have had access to in normal times of plenty or comfort. Um, so that's one of the positive aspects of being in an existential crisis that's nonlinear. Um, we could probably expect to see more of that. I, I hope we do. Absolutely. Very well said. And with that being said, folks, we'll be back tomorrow with Cuss with Gus at 11 a.m. And uh, keep it locked right here, roguenews.com. Rogue News in Exile. We're 27 days away from being back on YouTube. So, and lots of amazing changes ahead. And with that being said, we're over and out. Thank you all. Cheers.